your old pal, the Crypt Keeper. And you are now tuned in to my good fiends at Talks from the Crypt, the most gruesome podcast in the world. Testies, testies one, two. Testies one, two. What's up? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the second episode of Talks from the Crypt. I'm your Crypt Keeper, Brandon Lee. And today in the Crypt, we have a very special guest, Jason Egan. Hey, how's it going? How's it going? This is this is exciting. This is this is super cool. It took fucking forever to build and it took forever to launch, but everything takes longer than you expect. I mean, if you think it's gonna take a week, it's gonna take three. Yeah. And that that's that's when you're doing something right, you know, and you did it right here, which is super cool. But uh, everything takes longer. It just does. I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years and stuff still doesn't, you know, takes longer than you expect. So we always overestimate, you know, yeah. if I think something's going to take, you know, 30 days, I put down 60. So then I don't have egg on my face in the end, you know. And it costs way more money than you always expect it to cost. It does. So now I've gotten pretty good at that, too. And just, you know, have really, really healthy budgets. And uh, that's important because, like I said, Everything is more. I used to be able to do a haunted house for like $25,000 and now I can't even do a haunted house for $250,000. So, I mean, times have changed. Times have changed a lot, but the $25,000 was when I was driving around dumpsters and stuff like that, Mm. grabbing pallets and anything that someone was throwing out, you know, that, that was how I would create that for the 25,000. Now I just don't have time to do the dumpster diving anymore. Not that I'm too good for it, but, uh, just don't have the time. Too many things going on. Was it a little bit fun to you doing those $25,000 projects? Because there was some sort of excitement of like, is this going to work? Is it not going to work? Is it going to fail? Is it going to scare people? And then going through the season and realizing, wow, people actually liked that. Well, it was like the the first haunted house I did in Las Vegas in 2002 called Tomb of Darkness. I mean, that one was one of those dollars $30,000 haunted houses and we were dumpster diving for, and it turned out amazing. People were scared to death. They were crawling underneath cars and parking lots to get rid of the actors. You know, it was unbelievable. I mean, so we had hidden bookcases. We had all these different themes inside. I mean, it really turned out amazing for that budget. I had like two animations at the time, you know, and I was, I thought it was super cool having this electric chair prop at the time. I mean, it's actually a really cool piece uh, made by Distortions Unlimited. It is a it is an electric chair, but between the strobe light and the movement, it really looks like the guy's frying himself. Um, like I said, it's, I don't know what the proper term was. The new version is called Shake and Bake from Distortions Unlimited, my buddy's company. And uh, the old version, I don't remember what it is, but you'll definitely see it on their website. I mean, it's just such, it really brought their whole company to the next level. I mean, they they were known worldwide after they put out that electric chair. I mean, it just changed the industry forever. You know, now we have 100 plus animations that we own, but uh it was the first big thing that we were able to afford. And I think I, I didn't buy it new. I couldn't afford it new. I think I bought it for, I don't know, $2,500 from someone used in the industry. I don't remember who. I, th- I think it came out of a place in Florida. But uh, yeah, it was a super cool prop, you know, super, super neat prop. Now, but we've since sold it because we have to constantly refresh our inventory yeah. and come up with new things. I'd imagine they'd get fucked up over time too. It just depends on who's working on them. You know, yeah. it really depends on who's working on them. So you started in 2002 in Las Vegas with Tomb of Darkness, you said. Yeah, that's correct. Before you moved out to Las Vegas, you did a Tomb of Darkness in Nebraska, right? Yes, I did. I I don't know. I I like that name for some reason. I don't know how I came up with it, but um, I liked it. And uh, I had one in Nebraska when I was going to college at University of Nebraska. It was amazing. It was an old lightning rod manufacturing plant. Which just sounds like a cooler venue. Yeah, it it was. It was was a neat venue. It was 15,000 square feet. And I actually lived above the venue as well, too. 
And it was only like a block and a half away from the university. So that was super cool. I think at the time, I don't even think my ticket price, I want to say it was like $9 or something crazy. I'm thinking to myself now, like how in the world could you make money charging $9? It just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, nothing costs $9. You know, the, the VR experience at the arcade doesn't even cost $9. So I don't even know how how we did it for that. Heck, I, th- I think we were like 13 or $15 the first year in, uh, in Las Vegas. And I'm like, how's anybody making any money of that either? I mean, because you know, it's, it's a lot of staffing to pay, you know, to get these things going good. I mean, if you have a, like, I always say that when people do a zombie haunted house and they try to chintz and you know, they're like, you know, I'm like, where are all the zombies? You have a zombie haunted house. What's the most important thing in a zombie haunted house that's zombies have, have some damn zombies. Why are there no zombies here? So you should think about that before you have an haunted house. You know, if you're doing, if you're doing Blair, Witch like I have, it's great because you really don't see that many people. You yeah. don't even see the witch. You really need to think about that. And they don't think about it. You know, just do a little research, you know, you know, my, my good friend of mine who passed away, was my attorney for years and years and years. He'd be like, spend a little bit of time and money up front and it'll save you a fortune on the back end. And that's good advice. You know, think about it for a little bit before just jumping into something. Well, you know? people notice it too. People understand when you're trying to cheap out. They could see it clear as day in the quality. And I remember going to Fright Dome. Originally, it was a lot of scaffolding and tarp. But then over time, especially in the last five years, you guys went really hard on sets. Yeah, full, full-blown full sets and that stuff. It was when we started going with um, IP projects, like uh, IP being intellectual property of the studios. And since we teamed up with studios, it had to look like the sets of the movie. So... That's when we really changed in 2009, and when we did Saw, My Bloody Valentine, we were doing The Collector, The Collection, Halloween, you know, when I teamed up with the late George A. Romero, I mean, that was killers. We did uh, Word of the Dead, which was a which was a killer haunted house with zombies and lots of them. Was that in 2012? That was in 2012, because Halloween was in 2011. Fuck yeah, that was the year I worked there, and I met George A. Romero that year. That was probably one of the best parts about Fright Dome, was the fact that it wasn't just a haunt, but you guys were also a horror convention in some kind of way, because you guys brought out Sid Haig, George A. Romero, Daniel Harris. Bill Mosley, I mean, so many amazing people, and I'm so lucky that I had the opportunity to work with these guys, because, you know, George A. Romero has, has since passed away, and I was the only haunted attraction in existence that he ever teamed up with. You know, he really protected his brand and stuff like that. So he didn't license that out. So I was the only one. And, uh, you know, the great Sid Haig, dear friend of mine who passed away a couple years back, but uh, amazing having the opportunity to work with him in the studio. You know, he did my commercials for me. He did so much stuff, you know, just like, I call him up and I'd be like, Hey Sid, you want to do me a favor? He's like, as long as you're picking me up. And I'm like, of course, I'll come get you. He didn't like to drive. He didn't like to drive long distances. But uh, uh, yeah, so it was unbelievable working with such talented people, you know, and that, like I said, I always have to pinch myself. I'm like, really, am I I really helping out David Copperfield with this project? Am Am I really going into the recording studio and working with Tobin Bell? You know, I mean, Jigsaw himself. I mean, that's just that's just killer. I mean, I remember the day I was going to work with Tobin in the studio in Los Angeles. The person working the desk, her name was Amanda. Tobin was running late, so he called the desk. He called the studio. The lady answers the phone. Is like, hi, this is Amanda. And then he just played into it. He played into the whole thing. Oh, hello, Amanda. You know, <laughs> and, and she was just freaked out, you know, because it's just you, you recognize that voice. You mm-hmm. recognize Tobin's voice anywhere. He's so iconic. And that was fun. He has fun with it. And again, 
so talented. I mean, these aren't just actors. These are creative geniuses. I mean, Sid, to create the character that he did, I mean, just just brilliant. I mean, absolutely brilliant. Sid could just turn it on just like that. Same with Tobin. I mean, just like that, he goes from Tobin to, you know, I want to play a game. I can't even do it, you know, anywhere near what he can do. I mean, That's actually pretty impressive. Yeah, well, thank you. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it was fun. You know, I got to work with Bill Mosley in the studio. I've got to work with Brad Dourif in the studio. I mean... All these when you say in the studio, you used to record promotional pieces for Fright Dumb with them, or you were doing something with movies. What do you mean in the studio? A combination of both. So it would be usually everything ended up in a promotional piece, but uh, Tobin was actually for the attraction itself. And uh, Brad did some voiceover for the attraction itself and for commercials and other things. So, I mean, that's that's what was fun, you know, getting to work with these you know, icons that, you know, we, we grew up watching on television and listening to, you know, as you know, being Chucky and stuff like that. Those are you know, Brad Durf. You know, he was the voice of Chucky and still is the voice of Chucky. And, you know, now, you know, you can watch him again on USA Today. You're, you're, you're sorry, not USA Today, but USA Network. And thought it was, isn't it was sci-fi? Song, you're right, sci-fi. I think it's sci-fi. Think. Shout out Chucky, though. Yeah, Chucky. I think it's sci-fi. Pretty sure it's sci-fi. Yeah, if they were if they were my partner, I would know exactly what it is, but they're not. Not yet, at least. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, so I think it's on sci-fi, but uh, I think it's the number one ranked show in years on sci-fi, which is, which is really cool. And which is amazing for horror. I mean, it's that's that's huge for horror. And now there's like a Day of the Dead television show on sci-fi as well, I believe. I mean, you've still got Walking Dead around. How many seasons are we in? Like 14, 15 seasons? Yeah, I'm completely over that show, though. I love Negan as a character. I really do. I think he's amazing. You know, you went from hating him to like loving him. And that's that's a hard thing to do. I mean, I really like him as a character. So I think they've stepped it up in this latest season. The season prior was, eh, you know... So, so, but, uh, I think Negan's really carrying the show. I mean, he really is, in my opinion. He's still in the show. Absolutely. He's a, he's a good guy now. I thought he died. No, he's a good guy. Negan, you can't kill Negan. That's how not up to date I am with Walking Dead. I, I just gave up after a while. Did you ever guess Negan was going to be a good guy though? Not really, but I did guess who he was going to kill. Yeah. I knew Glenn was going to get popped. Yeah. Glenn, Glenn was the weakest link, you know. I'd yeah. like to see more adaptations for television though, because I think them having seasons to play with now instead of a limit of a two-hour movie gives them a lot more room. It's great. The doll's great. Brad being a part of it's great. Um, I haven't seen Jennifer Tilly and uh, Fiona Durf in it yet, but uh, I mean, they're great. Jennifer Tilly is amazing. So it, so is Fiona. Fiona's yeah. so great at what she does. It's telling you the future of horror. I think both television and movies, you know, I know that they're working on some other series as well, too. As long as they do it right, like they did with Chucky, and, you know, I know there's a lot of IP issues out there, you know, and what you can say, what you can't say, you know, Silence of the Lambs has a lot of issues. That's why you had to call certain things, you know, certain, you know, a studio has the rights to this, the book has the rights to this, and someone else has the rights to this. So it gets really sticky really quick. And uh, that's, that's definitely important to try to work around. So, because the audience will, will catch on, you know, if you're calling something, you know, good guys versus Chucky because you didn't get the rights to something. It's like, come on, television network, just pay the fiddler, pay their bill. Does that kind of studio beef ever bleed into the haunted house world? Like you've got this production studio not wanting their house next to this production studio, or are they pretty? Uh, no, it always does. I mean, they always are very protective of their rights. So they want to, they want to make sure that, you know, you know, uh, let, let me just use an example. They want to make sure that Texas Chainsaw Massacre is not sitting next to some crappy, you know, F movie, you know, that nobody knows about. So yeah, they're always, they're always concerned. I need that, that movie. Come on, give me two movies. And there's some on Netflix that, oh my God, I don't even remember the names of them, but you start them. You're like, oh, 
this is so bad. You can usually tell within the first five minutes and see how bad the acting is. And more power to them for trying. I mean, it, you want to see everybody try, but you're usually like, okay, you know, I'll usually give the movie five to seven minutes. And that's why, you know, I love, I love movies like, uh, you know, the Conjuring series has been amazing. You know, I really like what they've done with it, you know, cause they hit you right off the bat usually with a good old fashioned exorcism or something crazy and get your attention. I mean, it chapter two was one of my favorite horror movies of the probably the past 10 years because they, you know, hit you right in the gut with that opening scene at the carnival at the, um, dairy canal days. I mean, they just, they just shocked audience. Now you said chapter two specifically. Did you like one? I love one. I thought one was amazing, but I love the actors so much in chapter two. You got the best of both worlds. You got the kids and you got the actors like Bill Hader that were just unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, just, Oh, in Jessica Chastain. I mean, they couldn't have cast a better cast. I mean, they really did an amazing job. Finn Wolfhard, who played Richie, actually requested that Bill Hader played him. So that's the only reason the people who made the movie ended up reaching out. Bill Hader got the offer and he was like, fuck yeah, I'll be in this movie. And then, of course, um, 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 Pennywise, why did I my mind go blank on who plays Pennywise? Bill Skarsgård. Bill Skarsgård, yeah. I mean, he does an amazing job. I mean, just really, really does, does great work. And, um, you know, this last... Um, Conjuring series, you know, my buddy who actually starred in, in my movie, uh, Ronnie Blevins was in there, which was super cool and uh, did an amazing job. Unfortunately, I think he was the first killed, you know, um, but that, mm-hmm. that's all right. It happens. That's an honorable role, though, to be the first one killed in a movie. It was. And it, it was he's, he plays an amazing character, he usually plays the bad guy. And this one, he got, you know, slaughtered by, you know, the devil that made him do it, you know, yeah. but uh, great series. I mean, Conjuring's done such an amazing job using uh, all the Warren stories and stuff like that. It's just, just, just great, great stories, great props, great everything. I hope to, hope to hopefully work with them sometime in the future. What does that look like? You working with the conjuring? They have so much material. It, it would be a museum or an attraction, immersive experience, something like that. You know, Blair, Witch was all about escaping the forest, escaping her house, you know, and such. Saw is all about escaping his traps and, you know, escaping, you know, jigsaw. So that's what we like to do. But people love the movies and they love to be in the movies safely. So, I mean, what what better thing to put you in, in your favorite horror movies, you know, I mean, and to be immersed in the horror movies. So that's something we're going to do is keep building these things bigger and bigger and bigger and work with films that have, you know, that much more content, too, so we can keep expanding, you know, because it's, it's fun. It's proven itself. It's, you know, a saw is going on four years old now. And uh, it obviously we have something here. It works. So. We have a model that works. I mean, look at all the fly-by-night shit that's coming in and out of this town. I mean, I won't mention names, but one haunted attraction that they spent $10 million on uh, basically lasted 10 months. So that's a million dollars a month. I don't even remember which one you're talking about. I'll cut it out. I'll beep it out. No, I, I, I don't even want to. It was uh, above a Walgreens. I'll beep it out. Hollywood, I'll, be, I swear. Hollywood. I'll yeah. beep it out. I'll cut it out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Fuck. I went to that one, though. Complete morons. I mean, (laughs) complete morons. I mean, when I saw the, when I saw, when I went over there and saw they had one ticket booth, heard what their rent was, and I'm like, the number, did anybody sit down with, with a piece of paper and add up the budget and see if this is how much it would take to pay back loans and everything else? Like, what were they thinking? Yeah. You know, what were they thinking? It just didn't make one ticket booth. This, the other, you're, you have no, how many parking spots you have over there? Oh, we have zero. Oh, great. That's, that's really intelligent. Yeah. You have to park in a parking garage for $25. Where were you going to get dropped off at? Yeah. 
There's no place to drop you off. You're actually right, because that is on the part of Las yeah. Vegas Boulevard where there is... It's yeah. just street. I just thought it was a basic haunted house like any other. I, I don't remember the inside of the haunt. I do remember it being huge, but I remember the outside, the little museum that they had set up, the signs, the bar I, was I really it was awesome. Black though, the whole lobby was all black, painted black, like they ran out of time on set dressing and yeah, and 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 doing decent stuff. But and the bar had these cheap plastic Walmart chairs, and I'm like, what is going on here? You know, they they ran out of budget or something, but. That was a decent looking haunted house, but it was nothing, you know, that these big boys blow them away. I mean, the the nether worlds of the world, the Dent Schoolhouse. I mean, there's so many great haunted houses across the country. 13th Floor Entertainment's got a bunch of great haunted houses, some haunted prison in Chicago now. I mean, there's so many good ones across the country that, you know, just put them to shame. Kansas City's got the edge of hell, five stories with a five story slide at the end. They've got the beast, you know, with another giant slide at the end. I mean, slide. You know, oh yes. Yeah, full blown <laughs> corkscrew slide that comes down in the edge of hell. I was interested in seeing what the, uh, local haunts down there looked like. Very backwoodsy. So you would like it very backwoodsy, like just the area alone. You're like, Oh my God, I'm in the middle of a field and these guys really going to kill me. So they put a lot of effort into it. You know, it was fun, you know, and uh, my buddy's got one in Omaha, Nebraska called Mystery Manor that's got a slide down the end. Super killer. I mean, if you saw Mystery Manor, I mean, you can look it up. I mean, it's it's in like an old hundred plus year old horror house, you know, and really a horror house, like not horror with an H. We're talking horror with a W. What has stopped you in the past from kind of just saying, hey, let's fucking pop something up in a in a desert lot, build a really cool piece of infrastructure, maybe not a desert lot, but uh, taking over like an abandoned Kmart or something like that and creating that niche haunt that's just well thought out. Let's just say your average Kmart, let's just call it 40,000 square feet, you know, so 40,000 square feet, you know, at least a dollar a foot. So it comes with a 40,000 square, $40,000 a month rent. Take that times 12, you know, you, you get to real dollar amount real quick. So before you make anything, you know, with utilities and everything. Well, you else. wouldn't times it by 12. This would be a seasonal thing. You times it by three or four. Yeah. But you want to, the problem is you want to go back. You have to build that up again. You, if you want to go back to the same location, it might not be available, you know, so that's, that's a problem. So you have to, you have to literally, you know, your ultimate goal and, and you're going to be renting that location for several months, you know, a month to tear it down, a month to operate it, several months to set up and do it right. And that comes with a huge labor cost. So it, you have to weigh the cost. How much labor was it just to put that together and take it down versus how much is it just to rent the building year round and keep it in there? So it's a lot of number crunching to make sure things, you know, you know, are, are correct and uh, can be profitable and uh, so on and so forth. But the answer to your question is just not, uh, it's not, in the cards for me, I like huge, huge, huge events. And, uh, you know, if the right, if the right deal presented itself or the right building presented itself, but, uh, then maybe we would do it. But, uh, I think people have high expectations of, of our giant 250,000 square foot events, 600 houses, scare zones. It's like that Paula Abdul song. Um, what is it? Two steps forward, three steps back. And that's what I feel that it would be is two steps forward, three steps back. It's a lot of work to put those things together. But being able to take your new knowledge and how to build these amazing Hollywood level sets and actually give people a closer, more intimate and scarier experience overall. I don't necessarily think that would be taking a step back. I think that'd be like a passion project in a way. The reason six haunted houses is great because six haunted houses, you know, times 700 people per hour per haunted house, you know, you can do, you know, what is that? 4,200 people an hour or whatever it is. But, uh, 
you can do a lot of people, you know, through that. And that's the goal. And, and what makes a lot of money like universal, you know, shoving all these people through is a lot of people. So, cause at that point it really does become a tourist attraction. Yeah, exactly. You make so much more money. And again, just the cost when we did Fright Dome loading in and setting up came with a huge price tag, just a monstrous price tag. So that was a, that was a problem. I mean, you know, you, you look at all this, you know, I always say there's a big difference between the gross and the net. And I think any good businessman knows that or businesswoman knows that. I mean, you know, great. You might make millions of dollars, but you might have millions of dollars in expenses as well too. So, you know, what are you left in that pot with that, in that pot at the end? You know, I, I do an exercise with my staff. Actually, a good friend of mine used to run a VEDA, uh, taught me you take a dollar bill and, uh, you know, the, the dollars is the one dollar that the business made. Okay, then you actually rip it. I don't rip the dollar because I value money, but a lot of people rip the dollar and say, okay, well, this corner, okay, that went towards utilities. Oh, this big chunk went towards rent. Oh, this went towards employee costs. Oh, this went towards loan payback. Okay, this went towards uh, advertising and marketing. This went towards graphic art, you know, all, all these different things. So by the time you're done with it, you just have this tiny little piece of the dollar bill. You're like, okay, and that's that's my portion. You know, that's what I'm left with. So, you know, you have to you have to do it. You know, you have to do the math. You have to crunch the numbers and make sure that it's going to be profitable. And we've been damn good at uh, crunching numbers and, and making sure things are going to stay on budget and, you know, stay correct. And, you know, and always, like we talked about at the beginning is, you know, things go over budget all the time, you know, so you want to make sure you add contingencies in there. You want to make sure you budget correctly because you go over and then, you know, then you got a problem Then you're not going to be paying mm-hmm. yourself back. Your transition from haunted houses into escape rooms was fairly quick. I mean, Fright Dome abruptly ended. I mean, one year it was open. The next year, everybody knew it was closed. So first off, what happened with that? Why isn't Fright Dome a thing anymore? So I had a 15-year lease. My lease went through 15 years, and uh, my lease was up. And at the time, that October 1st shooting had just happened in 2017. Um, I can't necessarily say if if that's the reason that uh, MGM Resorts sold um, Circus Circus, but at the time they were planning on selling it uh, for, I think it was an $825 million deal to, to the Ruffin family or to Phil, to Phil Ruffin. And um, they had presented me with a lease and the lease was, you know, let's just be real. It was complete garbage. I mean, it was, it had about every option out that they could, you know, I could literally be ready to open the doors the next day and they could get out of the lease and uh, all these sale clauses and stuff like that. If they sell, you know, if they sell, they could be out if they sell. So I saw the writing on the wall. I saw that they were clearly selling the property. So we we couldn't come to a deal because I, I had no protection in there whatsoever. And, uh, and that was a problem. So we didn't make a deal and, uh, we went our own ways. And at that time I was building saw and it was probably one of the best decisions that I've ever made because now we're doing better than we've ever done as a company. So, you know, I was very passionate about Pride Dome, but again, it came with massive, massive expenses. So you go through 15 years with them. They say, hey, we're going to renew this contract. But assuming we sell this, even if you open the doors tomorrow, we're done. It was selling it. It was if they did construction, if they did this, there must have been a dozen different options out for them. It wasn't even a contract. You might as well just not even had a contract at that point. And uh, so there was no protection for us whatsoever. And we were like, no. Yeah. Now, where do they stand now? I, I've met with Phil Ruffin. He's a he's a very nice guy. You know, he came through uh, our Fright Right event 
And, uh, you know, I've met with his people. They're, they're good people. They don't know. I mean, is there something, you know, that could happen in the future? Possibly. We'll, we'll see, you know, if, if the numbers make sense, because now I'm a lot more wise with my numbers. You know, I'm not going to do something just because, oh, I want to be the Fright Dome guy. I don't give crap anymore. People have seen what I've accomplished. They know what I can do. You know, I don't have to have this event anymore for them to do it. You know, do I feel bad like this past October when everybody's like, oh, you know, when are you bringing back Fright Dome? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, hopefully in the next couple of years, we'll bring back something big. Don't know if it'll be Fright Dome or not, but we'll bring back something big that people can enjoy as long as the numbers make sense. You know, as long as the numbers make sense and I'm able to keep my sanity and uh, and do it because it, we're, we're not like the trailer park guys or the trailer corner guys, whatever the corner trailer, whatever the hell I call them. Uh, we just don't roll in our trailers in a Smith's parking lot or a, a mall parking lot and connect them and then we're done. You know, we set up elaborate sets with hundreds of actors and, you know, and, and they're big haunted houses. I mean, one of our haunted houses was bigger than, you know, three trailer setups, you know. So, I mean, it's it's a lot more area to to deal with, a lot more props, a lot more animations. I mean, these guys don't even change anything, you know, throughout the year. They might change one room. It's like that's their stress level to connect some trailers together right. and change one room. That's that's not us. We were changing 50 plus rooms, 60 plus rooms, 70 plus rooms. You know, I mean, we were changing a lot of stuff. So, you know, it's definitely uh it's definitely different than what we do versus what they do. So our stress levels are obviously through the roof and our expenses are through the roof too. Like I said, not saying it's not profitable, but uh, you know, now as I get older and wiser and such, it's uh, you know, you, you just have to watch that, you know, you, you know, your free time, you gotta, you gotta value that as well too and have some free time in there and some time to recharge your batteries and stuff. And, and that's important, you know, and that that's really important. You know, I'm, I'm all about go, go, go. We're working on, God, I'm working on six different projects right now, you know, six different projects. And, you know, I choose very wisely, you know, the projects that we're going to work on. I get offers all the time. I mean, nonstop offers. And when you say offers, you talking like IPs are hitting you up saying, Hey, we have this idea. Are you saying I've got my own family members that attempted to do haunted houses. I mean, it's like, you know, that they don't really talk to by any stretch of the imagination, but it's like, they just think it's so easy. Yeah. Like, well, shit, Jason could do it. Anybody could do it. Well, people don't understand. There's also a whole fucking world out there. I mean, a lot of people like myself are typically used to these trailer haunts that pop up or just drive to LA and go to knots or horror nights. But when you start looking at these places that put a lot more money into their sets and they also do not apply to a large audience, they're applying to that niche. We're really trying to scare you audience you really learn like it's a very vast world that a lot of people are studying. And it's like, you can't just jump in here, set up some fence. Exactly. It's, and it's think an you're going to make a million bucks. You exactly. Know? That, we had a person that won't mention name or if they're a family member that not. This that makes year, it sound like they're a family member. <laughs> they attempted to do something this year and you just look back like, oh my God. I mean, just, and I get everybody, you know, has a lot of failures, but it's like a failure after failure after failure after failure after failure after city doesn't let them open. I'm like, wow, more power to you for being persistent and, you know, keep getting back on the horse. But Jesus, go do your everyday regular job because you're obviously not good in this business. Well, what's your secret sauce? Because you, I mean, everything you've done from Fright Dome to Saw to Blair Witch to, I mean, again, the shit that you're working on is huger than everything I just named and everything already is pretty big. How, what's your recipe? How are you fucking 
hitting it out of the park every time. Uh, lots of trial and error when I was younger and uh, passion and motivation. And, uh, and you know, I really do a lot of homework, you know, a lot of research, you know, to make sure that, you know, it, it's like a little hint about buying a radio station when you're buying, a, when you're buying radio for, for something, um, the good old trailer haunts that are listening, you guys can take this into consideration. Um, you're not just buying radio spots. You're, you're buying the whole station for the month. You're buying their social media. You're buying their website. You're buying their giveaways. You're buying everything that's involved with the, the, the radio station does. And some people just have their agency go in and buy some spots and that's it. It's like, no, you want, you want a mix of everything. You want it to be very diverse on the radio. You, you want, you want to own that station for the month. And, and that's important. You want the the DJ social media, you want everything to really make it seem like that station's behind you. And, um, a lot of them will go in and buy, like, I'm going to go buy 20 spots and think that's going to do anything. You have no market penetration at all with 20 spots. You have nothing. You got to get, you know, you got to be repeated on there. You got to get, you know, you got to get the DJs to stand behind you. You got to get all that stuff and people just don't get it, you know, and that's, and I didn't really take marketing in school. You know, I just, I just learned, you know, and, and another thing when you're buying radio, people are afraid to ask and they're afraid to ask for more. You know, what's the worst that could happen if I ask for more spots? What's the worst thing that could happen to me? They say no. Exactly. Big deal. Yeah. Who cares? You're still going to get your original yeah, buy. Move on. Yeah. They say no. And people are like, I had that happen all the time, you know, and, uh, you know, I've shocked my own attorneys because they're like, Jason, I never thought they would accept that, uh, except that deal you're working on. I, I would have never thought I'm like, yeah, worst thing they could say is no, you know, as long as you're, as long as you're nice and passionate about what you do and they, they see that and you, you know, the worst they could say is no. I mean, you're working with some professional people that a lot of people should be typically intimidated about working with the, the studios and stuff like that. They can see your passion. They can see through the bullshit. These guys have been around the block. They know. And it's, you know, they can see that, you know, they can, you can clearly see that we know what we're doing and we're damn good at it. I remember Fright Dome took a very drastic turn. One year it was tarp and scaffolding. The next year it was full-blown sets. Like, what did you acquire? Did you meet somebody who was just like a Hollywood-level set designer? That was the first IP project we worked with. It was Saw in 2009. And we knew we had to up the game. I mean, people were in, you know, you know people saw that, uh, you know, we teamed up with Lionsgate at the time and Twisted Pictures and... uh that was a big deal. So we had to, you know, step it up. And that came with a huge investment, a huge, you know, price increase, you know, not price increase in the tickets, a price, you know, increase in what I had to spend to get the, to get the project done. But uh, I, I still think we made a tremendous amount of mistakes with Fright Dome. I think we were, we could have put more into it early on if we would have charged a little bit more too. Cause I mean, I remember when we first opened, I think we were twenty nine ninety five and that's really cheap for everything we had to offer. That's really cheap. And that was, it was cheaper than a ticket to adventure dome. Yeah, no, it, it really was. And I, you know, the, when we, which came, adventure dome's the daytime version. Yeah. So I think that's the first thing that when Phil Ruffin took over that property, he saw a $10 increase in the ticket almost overnight. Cause he's thinking to myself, well, I have this hundred plus million dollar theme park. You know, I got to, you know, you got to make money with it. And he saw it was too cheap, you know, so people, people will pay it. I mean, look at it, you know, our, these parking garages. Now I paid $30 the other day to park at uh, Caesars to go have dinner. I mean, my freaking Fright Dome ticket was cheaper 
than parking at Caesars for three hours for dinner. Like something's wrong there, you know? So, you know, I, I think we made a lot of mistakes and I think I had, a, I fought for, for certain things, but you know, circus circus, you know, they, they laid down the hammer and, uh, you know, they just, they got a guy over there just doesn't make good decisions. And, uh, wouldn't let us, you know, it, it took so much. It, I remember the, the, one of the head guys, we won't mention his name over there. He wouldn't let us go on social media. We were so behind everyone else. Cause he's like, people can write whatever they want. Yeah. That's, that's the point of social media. That's a big problem that we face yeah. in society today yeah. is just old people who yeah. run everything. Yeah. No, they need it. They need to, they need to change. They need a changing of the guard. They just don't know what they're doing. They make decisions for everybody based on like old yeah. mentality. I'm like, everybody's on social media. And then they're like, no, they could say something bad. And I'm like, yeah, and we can erase it. I do remember a lot of the limitations too, because oh, I, I worked there and I remember walking around going, well, why can't we do this? Why can't we do that? And you would always be like, they'll never let us do something like that. Now there's a lot of, it's like one guy over there that's still over there. I think he's going to die over there. Um, and it's not Phil Ruffin. Phil Ruffin's a, a very smart guy, even though he's old school. He's a really brilliant businessman. But um, they'll learn. They'll they'll get through these people. They'll 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 clean house and you know and, and get rid of the the bad ones. There's some great ones over there. There's some bad ones over there. You know, just like in any business. I think what was really cool is how you had Saw kind of queued up already, so it was just perfect timing, and you had all the confidence in the world to be like, "Fuck off! I don't want your new contract." Yeah, exactly. You, you can't take a bad deal. You know, you can't, you, you really can't, you know, I, I'll, I, I have practiced one of the, the best things I've learned is the art of saying no. And you know, this, I personally said no many times. Um, when, you know, if someone wants to come up and do a specific deal, it's like, no, I can't do that. No, I don't have time for that. Five years ago, I would have said hey, yes to anything. And now I won't do it because it's, it's just, you got to worry about your health too. And you got to worry about your sleep you know, and be healthy because if I'm not healthy and on my A game, we're not going to get anything done. Was so. Saw a stressful project or did that kind of just, it was one of those things that fell together perfectly. Wasn't stressful. Had a, a beautiful set of movies to go after, go you know, to, to look at and to study and stuff like that. So what's the timeline look like for Saw? Like it was you that came up with the idea and then you pitched it to Lionsgate or how did that come around? You know, they had said they've been approached many, many times to do an escape room. And, uh, they liked what I did and they were willing to entrust their amazing franchise with me. So that was pretty cool because, you know, a lot of people have been through these other escape rooms and, and they're really janky. A lot of them are really bad. I mean, you've been to a couple now, but uh, you're like, what the hell is this? This is like, instead of doing brick on the walls, they've got a sticker on the wall that makes it look like brick. I mean, it's like, and people are paying 40 bucks for these things, 40, 45, $50. And it's like, you you, got, you can't do this to people. You know, I don't want people to ever come out of my stuff and, and feel like they got ripped off. You know, I want them to feel like they really, you know, experienced something and, uh, and they got their money's worth. So, but, uh, yeah, that, that, con that from concept to completion, uh, that took about a year, you know, is what it took. So what did your pitch call sound like to Lionsgate? Well, I, I'd reminded Lionsgate at first, you know, that everything that we had done together previously, because there'd been a changing of the guard over at their company and the same people that I worked with back in 2009 weren't the same people that I was now talking to in 2017. And, um, so, you know, I had to refresh their memory, show them everything that we'd done together. And I, I basically pitched them on something, you know, that I didn't want your typical escape room. I wanted an escape room on steroids. I wanted something huge. 
I wanted a hybrid between an escape room, a haunted house, and an immersive experience. And and that excited them. And I explained to them, you guys have got so much content that, you know, we can't just do a one-room escape room. We have to do a beast of an escape room. I I think they really liked that. And they brought that to the producers and and everybody else that's involved. Because keep in mind, the producers of the film um, over Twisted Pictures are also heavily involved in that as well. And they're they're amazing, talented guys, Mark and Oren over there. But um, so I had also had, I had, had floor plans ready. I had 3D renderings ready. I had everything ready. And I always love having this stuff ready. So when the studio asked for it, I'm like, oh yeah, we have that. No problem. I'll send it over. Or I already have it sent to them for a specific call because again, you have to, you have to spend money to make money. So to you, it was just making a beautiful establishment, putting a lot of money into the sets. You know, there's no way to get it all in there because the films have so much stuff, but to give people enough of a taste that they go out satisfied, you know, that they saw enough of the Saw universe when they're going through there. And I think we definitely achieved that, you know, how we designed it. I mean, if you look at the original renderings as compared to what it actually got built as, you'd be shocked on how close it really was, you know, from concept to completion really stayed on track. And a lot of times they don't do that. You know, a lot of times, you know, what people create on paper is a pipe dream and it doesn't make any sense in our world. It came out almost better than it, than it was on paper. You know, the renderings are still hanging up in the office upstairs and uh, yeah, it's shocking how true, true to form they really, they really turned out. And, and that's crucial, you know, because again, you get so many people that uh, don't don't do that. They can create some cool stuff on paper, but they can't create cool stuff in real life. So, you know. well, and you're working with Saw, so it's like one of those things where you can't fuck it up. Yeah, I mean, could you imagine like some people like, let's say the tile in the bathroom, the Saw bathroom. You know, people have, I've seen try to cheat the tile where they actually sharpie marker the line, the tile line on the wall. It's like. Oh no, ours are CNC tile with real grout and real everything to, you know, make it seem like you're really in that bathroom. I mean, we used real pipes like in the bathroom. I, we were running out of time and I said to my plumbers, I'm like, Hey, can you, can you guys plumb this fake plumb this? Because we're out of time. And they're like, sure. So they was real plumbing in that bathroom, not real working plumbing, but real, real pipes, real angles, real everything, angle stops, everything that they would really use in the real world. So, you know, it's, it feels real, you know, and that's, that's important to us. You know, you dressed it up as a meat packing plant. Yep. We did a speakeasy style attraction and, um, kind of hidden nothing on the outside of the building says saw it's all the old meat packing plants, all the old Egan meat company. And, uh, you know, which makes people feel uneasy when they arrive on the property. And that was the goal. And Because really, they don't know if they're in the right place. Hell no. And it really works great. A buddy of mine who does this play called Sleep No More in New York City, which I recommend everybody go see, does the same thing. Uh, the play Sleep No More, you go to the old McKittrick Hotel and uh, it, it, unbelievable immersiveness in that hotel. His actors are amazing. His show is amazing. It's loosely based on Macbeth. I mean, if anybody's in New York, go see it, sleep no more. You got to wear a mask the whole time and you can't talk. Unreal, unreal. He was really the pioneer, in my opinion, in these immersive attractions because that that play's been open more, well more than 10 years now. I love that that's the one detail that you always use is immersive. You know, it seems like you put a lot of thought and uh, care into its immersiveness. And it's a word that's overused in the industry because a lot of people call themselves immersive and really aren't. Yeah, Rugrats has an immersive escape room now. Oh, Lord help us. You know, anybody with a with a printer and a computer yeah. can change the theme in their escape room. Hey, and, you know, arguably a huge IP though. 
Great IP. Yeah, great, great IP. But um, yeah, it literally put some wall wraps up and uh, yeah. I wish I could do that, but no, I, actually I don't wish I could do that because I want to be proud of everything we do. Is there a piece of you that almost feels tied to doing horror movies? You know, I, I love horror. Don't get me wrong. I love the feeling that it gives, but I would definitely do some spy experience or, uh, you know, uh, action packed thing. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, I like, I, there's so many things I like, you know, that I would definitely get into it. I probably wouldn't do like a, like a Macbeth or something like that, you know, like that, that, that other people would do great jobs with, and that doesn't interest me. So could I do it? Sure. You know, but uh, I wouldn't get into a, an IP that didn't interest me, you know, at least somewhat, you know, saw just works so perfectly. The point of the movie is to escape. Yeah. Um, really, really made it, you know, easy for us to come up with ideas. That's for sure. What's a good example of something being immersive and a bad example of it being immersive? Well, so a lot of people try to cheat it. So let's say you go in a room and um, the walls only go up so high, you know, let's say they cheated and you have a six foot wall or if the gameplay was traditional, stupid gameplay, you know, that, you know, that game that you've seen in every other person's escape room, but you didn't find a way to blend it into your specific set, you know, would be bad immersion. You know, if you just had a, a little plastic key store bought and key box with some red, white, and blue buttons or whatever the heck inside. And it had nothing to do with saw. It just, that wouldn't work. It's basic puzzles in the furnace, you know, that people have you've probably seen because it's a lot of escape rooms are like magic. You know, there's only so many ways to make a person disappear in magic, but it's the way you do it, you know, which makes it really cool. I mean, Copperfield's in my opinion, the best magician of our time. You know, I, I would, no one's even come close to him. And he'll spend like a year plus on one illusion, making it perfect. And it might be something that Houdini did, but he's doing it in a different fashion that just blows your mind. You know, it's the method that he's, that he's doing it, you know, and you know what he's spent to detail out this specific illusion. Did you need any kind of help when it came to saw? We did because I wanted to get it done in a timely manner. So I had brought on some Hollywood folks. Uh, I brought off the pla- brought in the plasters from the movie The Avengers. They literally had got off the set of the movie The Avengers to help us with our brickwork, our board form, the bomb tunnel, and uh, to make things seem extremely real. And they were truly this one guy is that led the plaster crew is one of the best in the industry. I had brought in uh, some people off the set of American Horror Story. They just got done with the, the latest American Horror Story to come in and do some detail work as well too. So we brought in like a dream team of people to combine with our team just to speed things up. And, uh, man, it, it, it just, it feels so real inside. I mean, it really does. And it just keeps getting better because we keep improving the puzzles, adding different puzzles and stuff and, uh, and, and freshening it up nonstop. Was there any kind of like viral bang that came with it? Cause I would imagine the first and only saw escape room in the world would go insane. Oh, I mean, both of the attractions saw and Blair, which have gotten press around the world. I mean, MC press in Russia, Italy, I mean, all over the place. So people have come from all over the world you know, pre pandemic, you know, to go see saw. So yeah, it's gotten a tremendous amount of exposure. I mean, tremendous amount of exposure and, um, you know, it was ranked number one in the nation by USA today, the first year out, I mean, which was huge. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I'm hoping that, uh, uh, Blair Witch is nominated for a, a, a T, I don't know if they can pronounce it, Tia Award, a Thea Award, the Themed Entertainment Association, which is kind of like our themed attraction Academy Awards, you know, so we'll find out uh, this month, actually, if we win that, we'll see. I love that you did Blair Witch because not a lot of people do it. I don't even think I've seen a Blair Witch haunted house. There was one in London, I think, is where it was at. 
Um, oh, that's why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was one in London, and it's a great IP for certain things. You have to be smart. You know, it's great IP. People love the merch we've come up with for it. Um, it was that the you know what that movie did at the box office for what they spent on it was just unbelievable. It, you know, they just did, they just did a great job. I, I love I love the whole atmosphere of Blair Witch, and it's it's terrifying. And it's you know. I would say nine out of 10 people, if you ask them what's, you know, do you know what Blair Witch is? They would say, yeah, they know what it is. And so people did lose their fucking minds when that movie came out. Everybody did think it was real. Yeah, they absolutely, yeah, they did. And that was just crazy. I mean, it's, I'm like, okay, cool. You know, they obviously did their, did their homework. And, did, you know, I like, I love seeing movies like that. I love the Napoleon Dynamites of the world, you know, that uh, I think that movie was shot for, for next to nothing. Halloween 1978. And that movie was made on like fucking 20 bucks. Because they spent most of their budget on um, Donald Pleasance. Well, and some type of a Steadicam rig, um, Steadicam rig they were bringing through there, and uh, to get that specific look, that following cool look. So yeah, I think most of it was spent on that rig. But uh, great film, love it. I mean, Halloween Kills just came out and you know did did really really good. Did you and like it? I I, I enjoy anything Michael Myers. Um, you know, I, I would have notes on it like anything else because I'm just a creative nut. But, uh, you know, I, I love, like I said, Michael Myers is one of my favorite characters. I just, um, uh, I wish my dan- friend, Daniel Harris was in it. I, I think she needs to be in it cause she's such an amazing actress. And I really, really, really enjoyed what Rob Zombie did to part one of his, his two yeah. Halloween films. He did a better job to me and that's going to get me crucified. But I truly do think having the backstory of Michael and watching him grow up with his terrible family and see him get bullied at school and then he snaps and kills a kid and then you just see his personality fade away. It gives you character development. You know, it makes you attach you to these characters. And I think that's where a lot of horror movies go wrong is if you don't develop the character, you know, within a reasonable amount of time, uh, you're not going to grow any attachment to the character. You're not going to give a shit if they get killed or not. So... I think that's why, you know, when, when you saw Danielle get killed in there, you know, you were like, oh my God, you know what I mean? You, you could feel it. It was, it was a very real. emotional scene too, because she was the sheriff's daughter. Yeah, it was, it was great. You know, they did such an amazing job and Danielle's such a great actress. So good. Michael was, it was very intimidating in that movie too. And suspense, I, I actually have to probably watch that in the next couple of days just to remind myself, you know, of how fun it was. Now part two, I think went a little out there. I thought, I still thought yeah. that was good. It, it was, it was very solid, but uh, I think it went, went, went out there with the horse and stuff like that. Dream but, sequences were a little wacky, yeah. but yeah. I loved how you could see the trauma on Lori. That stands as a testament of how good uh scout is as an actress as well. Yeah, she's great. She's absolutely great. And I think I just think it was really smart in the casting he did. And one could argue, well, he always throws the same people in the movies, but they're doing a damn good job. Well, you'd have to say the same thing about Scorsese. You'd have to say the same thing about Tarantino. You'd have to say the same thing about Adam Sandler. Using the same people in a way makes movies better. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, people, I I would argue that, you know, you know, and yes, we'll see how um, Sherry does in, uh, you know, the, the monsters. Yeah. But Sherry's a badass in, in all the House of the Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects, and all that stuff. She's an amazing actress. Well, so. people, I've I've heard the argument that she could only play Baby Firefly. Like, that's just the best character she'll ever be able to play. But in Lords of Salem, I thought she was amazing. I don't remember much about Lords of Salem, but... Uh, that movie's a mind fuck. We'll see. You know what I mean? Give her a chance. Let's, let's see what she can do. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, because they had some great scenes in Rob's Halloween where they... With some scenes, did they have like two two versions? They had two versions, two of endings, it. yeah, yeah. And then um, in in parts where they included like the Sid 
scene in the hospital and parts where they didn't. I can't remember. Yeah. Well, there there was a the unrated director's yep. cut, which was drastically different than the theatrical cut. Yep. This is actually a pretty rare case of the theatrical cut being better than the director's cut. And I just that. love Rob Zombie. I think he does really good work with movies. I think he needs to do a fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, who is not making that phone call? Maybe I'll make that phone call. Somebody needs to do it. He's the best at setting up piece of shit characters, which is the entire family. And... Um, he's really good at that backwoods kind of style hillbilly shit. They're already kind of rebooting it right now. And I, I think the interest they've of done doing screen it, testing, is that what they've done so far? Oh yeah. The first group of people who saw it were disappointed. That's all that I know. Legendary is doing it and they're a pretty badass company. So it's I'll coming be out on Netflix now. Oh, is it really? When is that coming out? I have no idea, but Fede Alvarez produced it. He did the evil dead remake, which I thought was great, but he directed it. So he's just adding his name onto something else. The characters they chose for that, let's just call it Michael Bay version. I'm pretty sure it's the Michael Bay version. Jessica Biel was a great choice. And uh, the the, the sheriff, unbelievable actor. I don't remember his name, but unreal. I mean, he is so good. He played full full metal jacket. Yep, R. Lee Ernie. Oh, he's so good. Um, Was it Michael Bay? Where's the director at? I don't know if he directed or produced it, but... uh, it was produced by Michael Bay for sure. Yeah, so he's a badass. Director was Marcus Nispel. What's he done? He's got to do some good stuff. Uh, he's a German feature film director and producer. Oh, okay. So he's done Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He did the 2004 Frankenstein on, on the USA Network. Never seen that. But he did the 2009 Friday the 13th That was a film. good one. That was a good one. It, you know, it was good because they acknowledged how bad it was. The That was the one where they went back to the lake and uh, lots of great kills, right? Yep. I mean, tons of great kills. And typical. It was definitely not Jason Goes to Space. I love Jason X. Did you not like that one? I couldn't get in that one. That's what I love about horror movies, though, is that it's the only genre of movie that doesn't need to be good for it to be good because you rely on two things, storyline and kills. Yeah, well, and, and they got the... You know, in Friday the 13th, it's always a little about the the kids, you know, the, the sex scenes and stuff like yeah. that, the college, whatever the hell they are. Um, so they definitely touched on all everything they were supposed to touch on. And that's what I liked about my friend um, Patrick's movie, uh, The Collector, um, and producing partner of mine. The, that movie was fucking crazy. The Collector, he touched on that too. You know, they touched on, you know, a good killer, suspense, great actors. And then they get that sex scene at the beginning where, where the, or not the beginning, but when the daughter comes home and the collector's watching her. And then they, you know, it's, they definitely, it was smart of Marcus and Patrick to put that stuff in there. And um, it was a great movie. I think that it would have done a lot better at the box office if it would have been in like Lionsgate's hands or Universal's hands. I mean, Universal's hands it would probably. It went to theaters. I didn't know it got a abs- theater release. Absolutely. Yeah, it went to theaters. Hmm. Um, it was, um, distributed by Liddell entertainment. So it just depends, you know, how much advertising dollars you put behind it. I mean, if it would have been a universal, it would have been a Warner brothers, it would have been a Lionsgate. I'm sure it was Sony. It would have been, you know, you know, even better received because it was a great film. Great, great, great film. I mean, they did a great job. I mean, the, the kills were great. You could feel them, you know what I mean? You could feel them yourself. So, and I feel like we're somewhat in need of like, um, a new slasher. You know, because you look at the Mount Rushmore of slashers, you've got Michael, you've got Jason, Freddy. Who else would you put up there? Maybe Hellraiser. Of uh, course, Leatherface. Yeah, you put up, I mean, even Saul, you know, everybody sees Billy on the things too. I mean, icon characters that have stuck around is kind of what I, what I call them, you know. So yeah, you got, you got Billy, you got Hellraiser, you've got uh, Michael Myers, Freddy, uh, Leatherface. Um, who, are we, who are we missing? Chucky. 
Chucky, of course. Yeah. Chucky's, Chucky's crucial. Mm -hmm. You know, I cheated. I looked at my wall. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah, exactly. All the, all the icon characters that have been there. I mean, even this little fucker right here, Sam, he's, he's made his way up into the rankings. Yeah, he has, you know, I mean, you got Linda Blair, Reagan, Reagan from the exorcist and stuff too. So you've got a lot of good ones. And, uh, you know, I, I would say, you know, Captain Spaulding now has, you know, is, is is up there as well too. Everybody recognizes Captain Spaulding now too. So, I mean, he'll live on forever. Now I have a question. How come, where, where's Michael Myers on here? It's behind me. Why is he, why can he not look at me? What do you mean? He's got red eyes. He oh, can't see me. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we thought it would have been cool to kind of just add our touch to um, all this stuff. So we wanted to cross out some eyes and just make it look uh, like, like street art. Like some people have come in here and they've seen these wrinkles and they thought that they were unintentional. We wanted it to look wheat pasted and kind of graffitied like <laughs> I just thought he couldn't look at me for some reason. But we've got him uh, again right there without the uh spray paint on I his eyes. He can look at me there. I guess that was just our little touch. And just to be able to add a splash of red for the sign. How do you like the classics? I've got a lot of classics on here like Nosferatu's right there, but Bella Lugosi's Dracula, of course. I love them. I absolutely love the classics. I just don't like watching the classics that much. Why? I don't know. I'm just like a little, a little bit more new age, you know? I mean, Freddy's about as, well, nah, I would say Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Exorcist is about as far back as I like to go. They really just raised the bar to a whole new level. I mean, Exorcist was just, holy shit. The stuff that you'd see happen to a kid in that movie, I think was the scariest part. I mean, you were like, fuck, this shit is ruthless and poltergeist you know i mean is is, uh they did a great job on uh, part one and two that creepy guy and the minister whatever in part two he was creepy as hell part three a little far-fetched but uh that carol ann did a great job and uh whatever the psychic's name is i should know this but uh she was awesome paranormal movies are always really fun because they stay with you after you leave the theater yeah it's creepy as hell like i remember the first time i saw paranormal activity that movie's fucking scarring i think that was pretty much got jason blum his huge start you know he was like oh, let me give you money for this please made a lot didn't cost much they have a new one coming out soon. next of kin yeah soon you've gotten into some movies before yeah yeah i've, I've produced a couple movies what does producing mean uh i was the executive producer so i was uh the money behind it, a lot of the money behind the movie. So, um, and got the financing. So blood sucking bastards is one that we did. And, uh, that one actually has Pedro Pascal in it that, uh, he actually was a star of the latest wonder woman movie. And he's the Mandalorian. Well. And he's a Mandalorian, which is huge. It's like, Oh my God, Pedro actually did this work for us. So that was, a, that was a fun movie. And people to this day love that movie. It's very, uh, campy and, uh, it's like Shaun of the dead meets office space. And and such people love it. They really liked it a lot. And then I did a movie called uh, The Neighbor, starring Bill Engvall and Josh Stewart. Uh, Josh Stewart's an amazing actor. I mean, been around a lot. And uh, Bill Engvall was a blue collar comedy, and he was the bad guy in the movie, but uh, played an amazing bad guy. I mean, just really, really good. And then Alex Esso also starred in that movie, and she was from Starry Eyes, and she was uh, from Doctor Sleep. I mean, amazing actress, just really, really, really talented. So how'd you feel about Dr. Sleep? I thought it was fine. I wasn't blown away. It's not one of those that I'm going to keep watching over and over again. Who's the, who's the head? Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor. Yeah. And he's a fine actor. You know, I think he did a good job, but uh, I don't know certain ones, you know, I just 
don't get into as much as others. You know, some people absolutely love blood sucking bastards. Absolutely love it to death. You know, it just depends on what you like. A guy I bought a, now now a buddy of mine bought a pinball machine from him the other day and uh, the other week. And, uh, he's like, Oh my God, you did blood sucking bastards. I love that movie. It's my wife's favorite movie. I'm like, Sweet. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. And then there's some people that probably fucking hate it. I don't like it. That circles back to why horror is the most interesting genres because a movie doesn't have to be good to be good. If there's like really good kills and it's uh, even somewhat funny. People are, are really critical of horror. And, you know, that that frustrates me sometimes because I'm thinking to myself, what were you expecting in a zombie movie? Like, there's going to be zombies. They're going to kill some people. There's going to be some people win and survive at the end. Like, I don't know what people's expectations are. Sometimes it's like, are you expecting the Martin Scorsese movie? You know what I mean? It's just so satisfying when they are good. Like 28 days later, arguably, I wouldn't even say best zombie movie of all time. I'd say one of the best movies of all time. Yeah, I I, I thought that was a great movie. And, uh, you know, I was I was a fan of the new the the Dawn of the Dead remake and stuff, too. I mean, that they did a great job of that. You know, weird to have the zombies running, but uh, I get it. It makes sense. You know, it's scarier. You know, it was a fucking great zombie movie. Which one? Shaun of the Dead. It was funny. Textbook zombie movie, completely self-aware in that the comedy is what made it so good. And when you'd see people die, it made you that much more emotional because you loved them. There's been so many fun movies like, uh, you know, um, from dusk till dawn, you know, and stuff, Quentin Tarantino, you know, in it. That was that was exciting, you know, and you think of like, you know, George Clooney was a part of that. I mean, one of my favorites, Lost Boys, was such a great film, too. They're remaking that as well. God, that's going to be a hard one to... I don't hate the fact that they remake movies. I think I'm such a big fan of its original. I don't mind seeing what somebody else is going to do with it. So I'm pretty much open-minded any time I go into a remake. How do you feel about all the remakes? Because I get it's like the norm to bag on them, but do you dislike them? You know, a lot of them, you know, do great work, but... I was not a fan of the Poltergeist remake. I thought they did a not so good job. You know, Lost Boys is going to be a hard one. That's going to be a hard one to follow. It was so good. The cast was amazing. I mean, are they going to have Tim Capella up there playing a saxophone again? I mean, what? it's a hard movie to follow. That was so good. I'm going to cut to that scene. Tim, I don't even know what he was wearing. It's some kind of a, you know, banana hammock thing, you know, and... It's great. You know, I always wanted Tim Capella to come and uh, do a little performance for us, but I hope it's good. You know, I, I'm excited to see it. You know, I'll be excited, but I uh, hope it's good. Another good remake was, uh, I thought, Amityville, when Ryan Reynolds did the Amityville remake. I thought that was fun. So there are good ones. You know, there there's definitely good ones out there. It just depends on what kind of effort they put into it, you know, and uh, and really just can't throw something together. You really have to put some thought into it, you know, and and I think a lot of times when movies get made, they blow their budget and then they're like, oh shit, they look at the cut and they're like, oh, we're out of money. We just got to like roll with it. You know, it's like, don't just roll with it. Just figure it out. You know, go do some reshoots, you know, go do some additional dialogue, go do something. And I was like, they, they just don't, a lot of them just don't fix it. They just put the shit out and it's like, go fix it. Find some more money, find another half a million bucks and go fix it, you know, make it right. Because otherwise you're going to feel it and you're going to feel it on the back end when they're not, people aren't watching the movie at the theaters and people aren't doing their, you know, you know, getting it on VOD and everything else. So, you know, just do it right. Universal's trying, they're trailing. I haven't heard what Sony's working on lately. I'm sure they'll work on some cool stuff. They got a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. They're loaded with amazing IP. I mean, they really are a great, great studio. It's even more exciting for somebody in your profession. You're able to be like, Hey, Let's partner up. Let's make something cool. Let's make something immersive. Well, and and I think that's, it's important, 
you know, I think Vegas is still behind, especially now with, you know, Fright Dome not being out there. I mean, we have trailers that should be in a town of 10,000 people, not a town of 2 million people. I mean, so it's definitely on our radar to step it up, step back up to the plate and add big, huge Halloween events to Vegas. Just there's only so many hours in the day, you know, so, you know, will maybe something happen in 2022? Maybe, but I guarantee you by 2023, there'll be something big, you know, just, you know, it just is only, like I said, it go boils back to the time and the day and how fast the year is. It's like, oh my God, we're going to be halfway through November soon next week. We'll be halfway through November pretty much. And it's like, where's the time going? Flew by. Yeah. It's like, it just gone back in the day. I used to be so excited for October to roll around again because I get paid. Now I'm getting paid every single month, every single day. And I was so excited. Now it's like, just slow down. Just just stop time. Slow down for a little bit so I can catch up, you know, and, and make some more cool shit, you know. And, uh, you know, but, you know, that's what we, we increased the size of the team. We've got some amazing people on our team, some unreal people. And uh, that's the way we're going to keep scaling up and, uh, and uh, coming out with cool shit. Whatever it is you do, I think is going to be amazing. I mean, so far, Saw is is awesome. Blair Witch, I like way better than Saw. I think it's just because it's closer and more personal. I'm fortunate enough to know a couple of the upcoming projects. Yep. And yeah. I will say, it's bigger than anything you've ever done. Yeah, it, it's absolutely iconic. And uh, like I said, I just want to put my stamp on here that we actually accomplished something. Life is short. I want to, I want to stamp that, you know, show that we actually accomplished something when we were here and, uh, you know, came up with some amazing things and, uh, so many, you know, even at Frightum and stuff like that, the people that I've met over the years, the relationships that were created, the, the babies that were made, you know, the, the marriages that were there, you know, so many different things, uh, I am a firm believer in everybody doing what they want to do, do something you enjoy work is work and it's always going to be hard, but do something you enjoy doing because it's going to make it not as hard and make it enjoyable. Like I enjoy going to work. You could walk into an establishment and really see when people do not give a shit about people's experience. And you've always had attention in that detail. So it's appreciated by me. And I'm sure anybody who's listening right now appreciates it as well. Is there anything you want to plug any websites, tickets? People should check us out. Go to escapeblairwitch.com, sawescaperoom.com. You know, those are two important sites. You'll see some new sites coming up as well in the future. You know, follow us on Instagram. We don't spam you with a bunch of, you know, BS advertising. We put some fun po- posts and photos on there and stuff like that. So I think that's at Escape Blair Witch and then uh, official Sawscape or Sawscape Room. You'll find it when you search it. Awesome, man. Again, thank you so much for stopping by the crypt and awesome. talking to all of us. Coming up in 2022, you know, your mind's going to be blown. So thank that's you. a wrap. Cool. Peace.